Bounce it to the end zone. It's intercepted in the end zone by Diane Gawolaku. Down the near sideline. 30, 35, 40. Right corner, Eli. Pulls, fires, scores from three. Elijah Bryant swishing it from the corner. Rolls it past the defender. Gets into the 18, shoots in. Near post score! Avery Walker! The voice of the Cougars is talking BYU sports with the players and coaches past and present who've made you rise and shout. And this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143. Here now is your host, Greg Rubel. Hello and good evening once again, Cougar Nation. I am your host, Greg Grubel. This is another weekly episode of Behind the Mic, coming to you from Studio 2 in the BYU Broadcasting Building on the Brigham Young University campus here in Provo, Utah. Hope you enjoy tonight's hour of Cougar Conversations. Each week we visit with present and former BYU sports and sports media personalities, reliving some favorite memories and getting to know better these people in a long-form interview format. If you're tuned in live tonight, you are joining us coast-to-coast via satellite on BYU Radio, Sirius. SXM 143 or around the world on BYURadio.org and the BYU Radio app. If you're listening on demand, thanks for podcasting us via our Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast feed or on our Behind the Mic show page at BYURadio.org. And I remind you all that BYURadio.org and the BYU Radio app are excellent online portals to all of the programming heard on BYU Radio live and on demand, including daily episodes of BYU Sports Nation. This week on Behind the Mic, we continue our series of interviews with the newest BYU football coaches. This evening, it's a conversation with running backs coach A.J. Stewart as we get to know the former coach of the running backs at Rice University, now mentoring the backs at BYU. After A.J., we'll hear from uh, former Cougar hoopster McKelly Wesley. BYU's ninth all-time leading scorer was a member of the last BYU team to win a conference tournament championship. That was back in 2001. This weekend, the 2017-18 Cougars opened their conference tournament title quest against San Diego here on BYU Radio. We'll hear from McKelly and hear from him about what it takes to win three games and come home with the crown. My interview with McKelly is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment sponsored by BYU Alumni. But we start tonight's show by welcoming into Studio 2 for the first time in this format, one of the longest tenured writers covering BYU sports and author of multiple books, most recently the book 100 Things BYU Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. A former BYU student who grew up a fan of the Cougars has been with the Deseret News now for more than two decades. Pleasure to be chatting with my friend Jeff Call. Jeff, thanks for coming in behind the mic. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's an honor to be here. So uh, let's go back to your, your, your deep background. Uh, and although you are an objective journalist these days, growing up, BYU was your team, right? Well, I, yeah, I grew up in Salt Lake. Um, my dad got season tickets for, uh, for football and basketball. Mostly football, or basketball is what I remember most. Um, usually for football, actually, I think my dad would get tickets from people and he'd arrange a way for us to go down. So it was a good bonding time for me and my dad. But uh, what I really remember most is basketball games. Our, our season tickets were literally the top row of the Marriott Center. So my back was against the, uh, the black rail back there. Yeah. So I know exactly what it's like to have you know, the view from up there and never dreamed that I have the view that I have now down courtside. But, uh, yeah, I, I grew up uh, you know, watching the games, listening to, to Paul James every chance I could. So, yeah, it just kind of uh, been in my blood for a long time. And BYU as an undergrad, right? That's correct, yeah. Did you already have the journalism bug by that time? Yeah. I mean, uh, I started out in journalism uh, in high school. I was a sports editor of my high school paper at Olympus High School, the Thunderbolt. Um, 
And that gave me great uh, experience. I could have never imagined. Uh, Olympus actually won the state championship my junior year for the first time. And my advisor was and it I— co- Was it Coach Mark Lyons at the time, or was Mark not coaching at that well, point? Well, actually, Mark Lyons was the offensive coordinator at that okay. time. And the following year, he became the head coach. My senior year, he was the head coach of the Titans. Um, but when Olympus won that state title, uh, my advisor and I put together a four-page paper in two days, something that usually would take a staff of 15 people a month to do. We put out a special edition in two days, hmm. and at that point, you know, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And when you got to BYU, there are a lot of great avenues to practice your craft, either as a broadcaster or a print journalist at BYU, and the Daily Universe was where you probably end up, ended up, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so I actually, before I started the Universe, I did an internship with Ralph Zobel, and it was great, great experience. Uh, Tell learned- folks who Ralph is. Uh, Ralph, at, at that time, was the SID, Sports Information Director, for both football and basketball. He's now overseas uh, baseball. Uh, he coordinates the game programs. And one of the things from that internship that uh, I enjoyed the most was one of our responsibilities was to write a feature story in the game program for the following football season. And I wrote several of those and just kind of reinforced that that's what, uh, that's what I really love to do is to, to write, and especially in-depth, in-depth profiles and really kind of get to know these athletes and coaches and what makes them tick. You got to be in the programs that you used to have all the time as a fan, though. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. So uh, at BYU, working with the universe, having gotten some exposure to the uh, sports information department, done some program writing, uh, professionally, where did it go from there? For Well, first of all, let's back up a little bit. To your time with the universe, um, you had a story about uh, uh, your first encounter with Lavelle Edwards may have come as a universe reporter. Is that accurate or not? Yes. Yeah. Well, I... Well, I don't know if, how much you want to know, but I actually ran into Lavelle at a Mr. Max when I was getting a suit before my mission. And I saw Lavelle there, and I kind of, with a lot of trepidation, went up to him and, and talked to him. He's, of course, very gracious and kind and everything. asked about my, you know, where I was going. But then, yeah, as uh, later on, even before I worked for the universe, um, I was doing a paper for some English class. And my issue had to do something with college football. Shocking, I know. Um, and I thought, well, this would be really cool if I could, if I could actually interview Lavelle and put him in this paper. And I remember I walked to, into the football office. Shirley Johnson was there, welcomed me. I, I introduced myself. And looking back now, I think, man, how naive and dumb was I uh, as a you know, 22-year-old kid? Because you weren't really going even as a reporter. No. Yeah. No, I was just taking a class. I said, yeah. hey, I'm working on the paper for this class. Can I, can I talk to Lavelle? And to my utter shock, and now it's even more shocking knowing what I know now, uh, within a matter of two minutes, I was ushered into Lavelle's office. I was sitting down across from him, and I had his attention. And I asked him some questions, and I, I'm just sitting there going, I can't believe this is happening. And, and that was for a paper that only I think only my professor uh, read, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, in the ensuing years, of course, I interviewed Lavelle many, many times. And he was always, you know, that, that to me tells me how genuine Lavelle was because how he treated me just as a student. And, you know, that's part of the greatness of Lavelle, I guess. Yeah, that was Lavelle to a T. And, and I was just a, a freshman, a 17-year-old freshman, uh, just help, working out, uh, helping out at, uh, at, at KBYU. And they sent me to go grab Lavelle for a quick soundbite before a road trip. And he was literally, literally backing out of his parking spot in his car. <laughs> When I knocked on the window of his car to say, do you have a quick second? Because I had to get something before he left. And he reparks it and uh, and gives me the interview, the two minutes I needed. And then he was off and running. And that's kind of who he is, too. 
no doubt about that. So the Deseret News has been your professional home for 20-plus years now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I started uh, Deseret News full-time in August of 97, which is hard to believe, but yeah. So, so 20 years and a bit uh, mm-hmm. right now. And I, I, you're known as a BYU beat writer, but you're also an author. And you've written many books, the, the most recent I mentioned. And uh, some or most of the books are BYU-related, but not all, right? Uh, if, if you, can you run down, just without even checking, the, the, the books you've written? <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> I think along with writing sports, one of my passions has been um, to write novels. It's something from a very young age. I told my mom at age eight. I don't know where this came from, but I told her I wanted to write books. And, uh, and I remember telling her that, and I remember as a kid just you know writing, writing, writing. And again, stuff that probably no one read but my mom. Um, so after I graduated from, uh, from BYU, and I took some creative writing class at BYU, uh, and after I was married, I you know, came across an idea that actually came to me during general conference priesthood session, and it became a book called Mormonville. Um, it's basically about... A, uh, a journalist from back east who comes to Utah incognito to do a big expose of the church. And he moves to Utah County and it just kind of tells about his experience uh, among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. So I wrote that one. Then uh, I did a sequel, Return to Mormonville, Rolling with the Tide, which is a book about a, uh, a return missionary who plays football at Alabama. And I wrote this before Alabama kind of became what they are now as far as the, the recent. Uh, juggernaut they, mm-hmm. they are in the dynasty. Um, I wrote another book, another LDS fiction book called uh, The Lost Sheep. And so, yeah, it's, I haven't written actually any fiction for about 10 years. I've been really busy with my family and things as they're, as they're growing and things. But uh, it's, it's a passion of mine as well. I, I enjoy doing it. Then there are all the BYU books, yes. right? Yep. Take those off. Oh, man. Uh, Cougar Mania, um, <laughs> the one you just, I just barely did. Um, Roaring Back to Glory, which I did, I think, after the... 90 or sorry 2007 season after Bronco kind of revitalized revived the football program going back to bowl games and yeah, all that. yeah, yeah. there was so much as you know Greg there was so much there um that kind of took us from the three straight losing seasons to all of a sudden becoming back-to-back Mountain West Conference champions so much good material of how that all uh, took place and, and it was amazing to me to see that happen because you see the low of the lows and it's hard to, to imagine the program being back on top again, but, uh, you know, Bronco Menhall, to his credit, he did it. And uh, does, that t- does that take care of all of them, the BYU books? Right back. so. Okay. So, so if you just, you know, Google Jeff Call Books <laughs> or Jeff Call Author, you'll get the list of the books we just talked about um, uh, for you to uh, peruse and hopefully purchase. You talked about the lows of the lows. You started the Deseret News in the fall of 97, you said, right? Steve Cleveland's the new basketball coach at BYU. Now, I, I got the 96-97 season as a play-by-play guy, the one in 25 right. year. Yeah. That's how I cut my teeth on this whole thing. <laughs> so what a year to start. And then the next year, your first year full-time with the Des News is when the new regime comes in. And that's another building back from the bottom situation. Exactly. Yeah, it, that was fascinating to watch as well, um, to see Steve Cleveland come in and really have with no— With Dave Rose and Heath Schroyer. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some, some uh, pretty prominent faces there, as it turned out. But— uh, you know, it, it's another fascinating thing. Um, I could talk a little bit about it in the latest book, too, about how um, that whole process happened. With I, I remember Steve told me, Steve Cleveland told me um, during that season that he started out with this big spreadsheet of 33 players to work with. Um, and you know about that, the background of these guys that, you know, guys are on missions, guys that were walk-ons, guys that did sign, and, I mean, just 
all these all these players and trying to whittle it down. And you know, I heard you talking about McKelly Wesley be, uh, being on the show, and you know, I, I remember that that first trip back to the NCAA tournament after the, those those dark times and uh, yeah, five years away, five seasons away, five from seasons, it. Yeah. yeah, and for them to have to to beat New Mexico in that game down in Vegas to get to that point and to get back into the tournament was pretty remarkable. Uh, the book, by the way, the most recent one, I'll mention it again, 100 Things BYU Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's a really fun read, and uh, the way it's written is it's – I don't want to – I hate saying it's an easy read because it, that, that discredits the work you put into it. But it really is written in such a way where you can you can almost turn to your favorite topic if you have one and, 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 and find great things about that particular aspect. And I hope it's selling well because it's it's written well enough to hopefully appeal to a lot of BYU fans, and I hope it's going well for you. Yeah, I actually don't know yet. It's too early to tell, but uh... – you know, in the one hand, I kind of thought, man, this is kind of bad timing for a book like this to come out on the heels of a 4-9 football <laughs> season. But on the, I've looked at the other side, too, is that hopefully this book will give BYU fans hope that there are better times. You know, BYU's been through bad times before, and, mm-hmm. and they can get through those, and, and there are good times yet to, to come. And, and to also kind of to reflect and bask on, you know, some of the great moments this book is filled with with stories of uh, remarkable athletes and their kind of their backstory and how they got to where they, they did. And, and it was a lot of fun to write. And I like the format, too, where you can just basically open it to any page and start reading a little chapter, yeah. and hopefully fans like it. Oh, that's wonderful. And thank you, by the way, for the, uh, the personal inscription that I got in my <laughs> book uh, when, when you presented this to me a few months ago. So thank you for that. And again, it's called 100 Things BYU Fans Should Know and Do uh, Before They Die. And again, easy to find online and get it into your house, and, and please do that. Never a dull moment. Jeff, on, on the BYU. And the great thing about the fact that it is the BYU beat is you can fill a book like this with, with so much great content. It's a fascinating program. You look at it, football, basketball, what it's done over the last number of decades to be where it is here in Provo, Utah, to not be a P5 program, and yet to have so much good content and good material from which to draw says a lot about the program. It does, and I really do believe, I think uh, the word unique gets thrown out a lot by people, but this program truly is unique. I mean, when you consider the LDS Church affiliation, the missionary program, the mission of the university, the mission of the church, I mean, you just don't see that in any other program. And, and I think the hardest part about doing this book was not what to put in, but what to keep out. There's so many other great stories that I just couldn't shoehorn in there that I wanted to, but uh, hopefully it's enough stuff that will keep uh, BYU fans interested in reading. So. How good a typist are you, by the way? You're pretty, you're pretty adept? You have a pretty good speed going? Got a lot of practice, yeah. I mean, I've never, I don't know how many words per minute I can do, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I transcribe pretty much all my interviews, and so I get a lot of practice. I'll say that. I ask you because I've never learned how to type, and, really? and, and I type as much as anybody these days, and I'm still a guy that's uh, pecking with, with two <laughs> fingers on each hand and looking at the keyboard, wow. and my kids at home, the 12 and the 14-year-old, are keyboarding like pros, and here I am, many, many years into the business, and still without a real strong speed rate going. I use the backspace key more than any other key on my keyboard. Uh, I was I was about to say never a dull moment on the BYU beat, and and uh, and sure enough, conference realignment pops up again today, and BYU's name gets tossed about, and it's just it's fascinating how certain stories just kind of never die, if you will, and BYU remains a player to the extent that uh, they're always kind of in the mix, right? Yeah, always in the conversation. Yeah. Anytime anything about uh, realignment comes up, sure enough, BYU's name crops up and sends us scrambling to try to figure out, you know, what's going on. And uh, 
Yeah, you're exactly right. Never a dull moment. <laughs> so uh, your schedule for the week. Uh, spring ball, of course, comes up. Football, that is, next week. But between now and then, we've got some things to do down in Las Vegas. Yeah, so I'm leaving uh, tomorrow, head down to cover the women's game tomorrow night. And, of course, the men will be s- Saturday. And, you know, when you talk about March Madness, I mean, to me, it's uh, it's not just uh, basketball. It's football as well because you got the crossover. And there's a lot of interest in spring ball, especially this year with the new coaching uh hires and, and things in place we're really eager to see what's going to happen there so yeah it's we're about to embark on a really crazy month but it's fun for for a team that uh, coming off a four and nine year it's it's really rather intriguing as as, as to what BYU football is going to put on the field uh, this year just the coaching hires alone I, I think bring a lot of interest into in terms of what BYU might look like this uh, this fall yeah it's kind of uh, kind of reminds me of what we went through two years ago when when Kalani came in and he pretty much brought in a whole new staff and the offensive staff, for the most part, is new except for one uh, one coach. And so, yeah, there's just a, a lot of sense of renewal and um, just a fresh start. And you feel like, uh, you know, everything is kind of a clean break from what happened before. And we're going to see what happens now and see how these new coaches adapt and how they utilize these players that they've got. And and try to find an offense that will work and score points. Spring practice starts uh, next week uh, here in Provo. And, uh, Jeff, I will see you in Las Vegas when I get there on Friday. BYU and San Diego on the men's side Saturday. BYU and San Diego on the women's side tomorrow night, a game you'll cover. And it's uh, it's a three-seed versus a six-seed in both instances. Yeah, I'm amazed at kind of the similarities for both teams. I mean, uh, I think both San Diego teams are physical, and that's how they like to play, and aggressive, and BYU's going to have to respond to that, both men and women. Both both teams know they need to win three games in Vegas to, yep. to go back to the NCAA tournament, certainly. Yep. The book is called 100 Things BYU Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's Jeff Call's latest book. Of course, you don't have to get the book to read him. You can find him in the Deseret News and online at DeseretNews.com as he covers the Cougars as well as anybody. Jeff, we'll see you in Vegas. Thanks, Greg. Thanks a lot. That's Jeff Call, my first guest on Behind the Mic tonight. Coming up after this break... Speaking of the new BYU football coaches, we'll hear from one of them coming up next. Running backs coach A.J. Stewart is my next guest after this break. You are tuned to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Well, the day before BYU announced its most recent football recruiting class, BYU announced its final addition to the 2018 coaching staff. On February 6th, A.J. Stewart was introduced as BYU's new running backs coach, joining Cougar Nation after playing in a coaching career spent in the Big 12 and Conference USA country. A Missouri native, A.J. was a college tight end with the University of Kansas, where his career began with a redshirt season during a landmark campaign in KU football, as in 2007, the Jayhawks opened 11-0 before finishing with a win in the BCS Orange Bowl to cap a 12-1 campaign. A.J. jumped right into coaching after college, starting as a grad assistant coach at Rice, a role he occupied for two seasons before assuming a full-time post as running backs coach with Rice. And while there, Coach Stewart tutored some of the best backs in Owl football history. Now, after four seasons in Houston as a full-time coach, Coach Stewart has left the Lone Star State for the Beehive State and starts his BYU tenure as part of a rebuilt coaching staff for the 2018 season. My pleasure to introduce to my listening audience 
new BYU running backs coach, A.J. Stewart. Coach, welcome into Studio 2, and thanks for joining me behind the mic. Appreciate you having me. So I, I said tight end, but that wasn't what you were uh, back in the day, right? No, I, uh, I actually went to college as a quarterback um, and then uh, moved to receiver. We had a really, really good quarterback, probably the best to ever play uh, Kansas history. Uh, he was only a year older than than me, and you know I decided I wanted to play a little bit of football and not sit on the bench for a few years. So, uh, initially went to receiver and then finished off as as a tight end. But that redshirt season you had back in two thousand seven, you were the scout team QB for that year, right? Yes, I was. So when you guys were off to eleven and zero and getting all the national headlines, you were getting the guys ready to go week to week for sure. And and honestly, I, truthfully, I took took pride in that. Um, and. It was cool that I got to travel to all the games being a quarterback. So I, even though I didn't get in the games, I really kind of enjoyed that experience more so than a, a normal guy who would uh, redshirt. So it was it was really cool. I really learned how to win. You know, I guess being around those guys and and I honestly did take pride in you know getting those guys prepared. We were like top five in the country defensively that year. Um, so I joke around with those guys all the time when we meet up and just say, "Hey, I had a part in that. Don't you know? Don't." Shun me. I helped know, out, helped you get team. to where you were. For yeah. sure. How wild a ride was that twelve in one year? Oh, uh, it was it was incredible. Um it was just one of those, you know, historical seasons. You know, you 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 wish you could have multiple of those in your lifetime, but you never know, you know, how hard it is until, you know, once that deal's over and you kinda get back to reality. It was just it was a magical year and had a lot of fun and, and played with some really good players and beat some really good teams during that time. So it it was just a great, great time. And and the Orange Bowl is one of those like legendary games in college football. Whether the game itself or the venue, you say Orange Bowl, and that's big time football for sure. Yeah, we were we were playing against a Virginia Tech team who, I mean, they were loaded. I think they had nine guys on their defense declare for the draft after the game, and then the other two left the year <laughs> after. You know, they had just incredible. Tyrod Taylor was a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, they were just loaded. Um, so just for us to be there um, and really just hone in and, and actually get it done as well. That just was the icing on the cake for the whole experience. Let's back up a little bit. Uh, your hometown's listed as St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Was that a born and raised situation for you, or yes, yeah, born and raised St. Louis, Missouri. The only first time I ever moved was when I went to college. Hmm. Um, so I really have a heart for that city. Um, it's really cool that uh, Kosataki, he's from there as well. So, Kirkwood, I think. Yeah, he's yeah. from Kirkwood High yeah. School. Um, and so we've we've had some conversations about that. <laughs> so it's, it's it's really cool. Um, I've never actually coached with with anyone from St. Louis, so it's just kind of good to have have you know those conversations and and some memory memory lane type uh, times and, and stuff like that. Did you know you had the connection with Kalani before you met him, or no? I did not. I I did not know he was from St. Louis until I start doing research on BYU and hmm. um, before I got here and just thought that was really cool and, and obviously the first time we sat down and talked it, it came up right so on. it was cool so as a kid uh whether college or pro favorite teams um growing up pro the Rams were really good when I was when I was growing up that was the greatest show on the turf yeah days uh but in sports I've kind of always been more so of a player um supporter uh Peyton Manning's always he's my all-time favorite football player um, so I've I've always followed him while he was a player, and LeBron James to this day is still my favorite ever. He's my favorite athlete ever. So. I, I think I'm with you on LeBron on that one. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Pete, you ever met Peyton Manning? I've never met him. Never met. Him. I would love to meet him and sit down and and have conversations with him. I, I think he'd be just as good of a coach as any anybody I met. Just talking X's and O's uh, too. So hopefully someday I get to meet him. You ever meet LeBron? I've not. I've I've been in a room with him one time, but I wasn't big time enough to to go up and and have a conversation with him. But I've I've rubbed shoulders with him, but I've never 
and now gotten to meet him officially yet. Okay, what sports did you play most seriously growing up? I played all three. I played uh, football, basketball, and baseball seriously growing up all year round. Um, you know, played fall ball for baseball, and when I was doing that. I was doing seven on sevens for football and AAU basketball. So it it, it was just nonstop. And uh, where I'm from, you really need to do those things in <laughs> order to keep yourself out of some trouble. So um, initially, it started to keep me, you know, out of trouble. But then I just grew a love and kind of flourished at those sports. So um, got into more serious leagues and, you know, played on travel teams and things like that. So uh, you mentioned AAU. When, when did you kind of maybe put baseball and basketball to the side a bit and become a more full, a full-time football guy? I honestly didn't put those things aside until, like, my junior the end of my junior year in high school. Um, I mean, I, I didn't know which sport I would play in college up until that point. I mean, I, I had pretty good careers. Um, started as as freshman on baseball um, all the way up on varsity, and then basketball started from a sophomore year all the way up. Um, but football, I think, at the beginning of my senior year is when I really started noticing that I actually could probably play at a, a big-time school, you know, and things like that. So I, I started taking taking it more serious. How much did you really love uh, baseball and basketball? How tough was it to maybe give them up uh, heading into college? It was very tough. My, I still remember the last basketball game I played. I cried <laughs> harder than I did on my last football game. I don't know if it was because I knew I was going to continue to play, but uh, basketball, to this day, I still play basketball two times a week. Um, baseball, still watch it, diehard Cardinals fan. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've always loved all sports. Uh, football was just kind of my the one that set set me apart. You know, I was just pretty above average, I would say, in those other sports. Um, but I think football definitely was the sport that could take me the farthest. What position did you play in baseball and basketball? Baseball, I played shortstop um, and pitcher. And in basketball, really on my AAU team, we had a lot of a lot bigger guys, so I played more of the shooting guard and small forward. And then on my high school team, I played small forward and power forward. Okay, you mentioned you still play a couple times a week. Uh, I know that some of the current BYU coaches uh, like to get out and ball a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, have you done so with them yet? Yeah, I've gotten to play with them uh, a couple times now. Uh, gotten out there and still getting used to the elevation here. I, I will say, so <laughs> I don't think they've seen my A game yet. All right, maybe a couple times up the, up the floor, <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely uh, it's something I love. It, really, I like doing it for the cardio. But but you know, being a coach, you don't get to actually get hands on and compete yourself. So I just I just enjoy competition. All right. So, so among the current coaches you're with, you're at BYU. Who's got a little bit of game? I'm still kind of getting to feel feel them <laughs> feel them all out. They play a little bit different style here. It's more of a, a shoot a three-point shooting style here um but Harvey Unger he's really good he's a good player um Dallas the graduate assistant he's, Dallas he's, Reynolds yeah Dallas Reynolds he's re- he's really good he's a load he is a load <laughs> I guarded him the other day and I told him it was like I got cardio and a lift in at the same time <laughs> so uh some of those younger guys you know GAs they're they're really pretty good players so it, it's been fun just kind of using that as an outlet to kind of get to know guys a little bit more how good was your high school team and to give us some insight into into the the recruiting you experienced as it got time to to, to, to choose a college yeah our uh, my football team was we were about we were just an average team um and we've had historically some pretty good athletes to come through there um but also historically we had academic problems we didn't have accreditation my last two years Mm. my high school didn't have so really we didn't honestly get a lot of frequency from college coaches uh, going through there but it's St. Louis is so tight-knit that other schools would tell coaches about me so 
truthfully, the the most guys that stopped by were, you know, they they were referred to me from, you know, area high school coaches and things like that. And I've, I always tell them how grateful I am for mm. that, you know, or I may not have the opportunities, uh, have had the opportunities that I did. So why KU? Um, I, I really, I thought, first of all, I wanted to go to a place where I th- thought I would have a chance to play, um, you know, and not just go to a school just for the name. I wanted to go play. And then also I wanted to, it was important to me, you know, I grew up in a, in a single parent household and my mom, she's gone to all my games that she, she could make, you know, around work and things like that my whole life. So uh, KU's four hours away from St. Louis and I just wanted to be somewhere where my mom could still come watch me play. I, th- I knew that would be important to her, um, but I didn't want to go so close to home to where it would, you know, I would feel like I'm at home still. I, w- I wanted to go somewhere with more diversity and, and would help me grow as a person. So you went there as a QB, uh, then to wide receiver, ultimately finished a- as a tight end, and you really got, and I'm sure a lot of lessons learned as you saw the highs and lows of KU football. For sure, I did. Um, yeah, I saw the pinnacle. I mean, literally the the best season ever, you know, there, and really the best two two year span ever. And then at the end of my career, we had some struggles. You had a coaching change in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Had a coaching change, had stroke. So I really kind of got to see all aspects of you know the college experience, and I think it really prepared me to be a better coach. Um, just taking the good and the bad from both you know situations, learning from it. Um, good experiences as a player and, and bad experiences as a player. And I think it's just it helped mold me and, and really switching all those positions actually helped me as a coach too because I had to kind of start from scratch at each position and learn, you know, the basics and fundamentals of how to play. And I think that's helped me as a teacher. So, yeah, yeah clearly you've been able to use that for that five-year experience uh, in Lawrence and use it uh, with the players you've coached uh, since that time. For sure. Yeah, it's a, a lot of those things come in handy when, you know, there'll be times where we we bump the the running back out to receiver and things like that. And it's like I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm ha- I'm happy because it's something, you know, hey, we're, let's talk about stance. And, you know, I really get intricate in the details and things like that. And I'm I'm a discipline oriented person. And I, I feel like how you do anything is how you do everything anyway. So uh, when they get out there, I, I love, you know, kind of giving them that experience for me as a player, you know, more so I didn't play the, the running back position. So. That that stuff is easy for me. You had one touchdown catch as a college tight end. Mm-hmm. Remember the game, the team, and the, and the setting? I'll, I'll never forget it. It was uh, homecoming, Texas Tech. We were wearing our uh, throwback jerseys, and uh, I, I still remember the play call. Me and you two ran a corner route, and my boy uh, Jordan Webb threw a perfect ball right in the corner of the end zone and came down with it. Nothing like it, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't forget stuff like that. That's awesome. So you 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 finished Kansas, and you went right into coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Like like you, you didn't have a season off. You went right to Rice the next fall, and you were a grad assistant. Yes. Uh, what got you there? What was the connection to to the Rice staff? The uh, the offensive coordinator John Reagan uh, was was at uh, Rice, who was at currently at Rice when I was finishing up. He had been our O line coach under Mark Mangino's staff. You know those three years with the Orange Bowl season and all that. And um, actually, I was. We had a GA who played. They had a GA there who was an O line GA who played with me at Kansas as well. And he reached out to me one day, just asking if I knew anybody who wanted to get into coaching. And I had gone to school for health and PE. I thought I was just going to go back to St. Louis and you know go to my high school, be a high school coach. And he gave me that call, and I'm like, I'm, I never thought about coaching college ball, but I'd definitely be interested in you know being a grad assistant. And it, that's literally how it worked. I mean, it just fell out of the sky. So he called looking for recommendation, and you recommended yourself, basically. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I told him I'd help if if they didn't want to go the direction with me. But I, I, I mean it. 
an opportunity like that I knew would be great, you know, and I, I thought, you know, go down there and learn a little football, and at the very least I could always go back and, you know, be a high school coach, but didn't know where it would lead, and I'm obviously glad that I took the opportunity. So two years as a grad assistant with Rice, what were your main responsibilities over those two years? Well, it was it was actually really a good situation for me. I worked with the running backs. John Reagan was the offensive coordinator, and he was the running backs coach, um, but he was more of an O-line guy. Um, at heart and he was the OC so he actually so he handled a lot to you then he handed a lot to me and um, it started off in little he gave me little things um, like hey five minutes of individual do this and that I think I kind of earned his his trust and respect and you know and getting the players to work hard and all that so he as as really the first year went on and then the second year he kind of handed those guys over to me you know more so than a normal graduate assistant I think it just showed you know, our head coach, David Bailiff, that I, you know, was could have the respect of the players that they would work hard and that I actually, you know, knew what I was, you know, teaching the guys and things like that. And once he left, he left to go back to Kansas um, after our uh, conference championship year. Then I got elevated. Um, I was a running backs coach during the bowl game against Mississippi State and mm-hmm. then was promoted right after. And so. that, and then you had that the last four years, right? Yes. Yeah. So as someone who was a quarterback turned wide receiver turned tight end, how hard was it to get a handle on this position and position group and then coach it at a high level? Well, it, it just went back. Like I said, I went to school as as uh, for health and PE, so I have a heart to be a teacher. And a quote that I, I like to use is, is trade minds with the people you want to influence. And I think that that helps me in the in the sense that I just think, okay, if I were that player, how would I want to be taught? And I think it, it just made me kind of get to the to the service level. It actually made me grow as a person and as a coach because I had to think of ways to to coach up a position that I didn't, you know, technically play. So um, it just I had to come up with rules that that made me see it the way that a running back would see it. Um, our communication had to be where we all understood where you know the terminology and things like that. So I, I learned a lot from John Reagan the first year. You know when he he I was just his GA, and then once I start kind of hearing some of his coaching points and learning and then I adapted it to my own personality and my own coaching style and it's it's honestly been I, I wouldn't want to coach any other position if, if you hmm. asked me now you're a running back coach yes yeah, I, yeah. I love coach I love coaching running backs so among the guys you mentored there at Rice were two of the top 10 rushers in that school history mm-hmm. um it's always going to take talent uh you know to, to to get where you want to go um your time there you spent six seasons in Houston mm-hmm. uh how, how much maybe in love did you fall with the area and how tough was it to leave it for a whole new place well yeah it's when you get into this profession and, and if if your heart's in it the reason you know for the reasons that mine mine is into it like i said i w- i thought i was just going to be a high school coach you know and a teacher and i just have a heart for young men so anytime you leave you know when you you invest so much in in a place and not only just in the program you know in the players the city you know my wife and i have invested a lot in the city we have a lot of friends there you know uh very hands-on in the community and things like that. So it wasn't easy, but our, we believe that when God calls us somewhere that it's, it's for a reason, and we feel like now it's it's time to make that impact on another you know area. So the same type of uh, relationships we built in, in Houston, and we're looking to do that here in Provo as well. You've now been called to BYU, called to Provo, kind of out of the blue, I would guess, the way it came. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see yourself uh, coming to a place like BYU, and why do you think it's the right move for you at this time? Well, I, honestly, I did, in this profession, it, I mean, I've seen it go so many ways. And um, 
I, I've always seen my seen more, you know, and and just I've always wanted whatever is is, is what is meant for me. You know, honestly, if I was coaching middle school, I would be happy to do it I, sincerely, um, because I just I believe that in the calling, and just being here is just honestly a dream come true. I've always wanted to make a step forward in my you know in my coaching career and this this is a nationally known program and I'm just I'm very excited to be a part of that you know just to be able to be, be around the quality athletes that we we can uh, recruit here as well as just the quality of coaching staff you know working for a man like Jeff Grimes I mean this is this is a great opportunity for me you know not only to be a part of this but to grow as a man off the field and also as a football coach how quickly did you forge a connection with the coaching staff and your running backs um it's still an ongoing process. I'm, I would say I'm growing closer to the coaches. Just we've been really in in the office last week, you know, really grinding out some things, getting prepared for spring ball. And, you know, once you're with somebody for 12 hours in a day <laughs> for multiple days in a row, you kind of start really getting to know them. So that I would say I, I know the coaches a little bit more, still getting to know the players, you know, just through passing and in the hallways and they'll, you know, pop in and, and say hi to me in my office and texting them back and forth and stuff like that. So I'm trying to accelerate the process, as, you know, as fast as I can. I'm really – anxious to get to know these guys and once again it's I got into this because I love compete the competition of football I love with the game I love winning and all that but also I, I got into this to help these young men and just to help my peers and people around me just grow in life um, so that's why I've really it's important to me to get to really know each individual you know and and so that I can figure out what's the best way to to work with them on a daily basis okay what do you like most about the BYU experience so far I love that this is big time football. It's a big time program. I, uh, the stakes are high, and I, I like that. You know, there's expectations here uh, to be successful. There's there's expectations to win every game on your on your uh, schedule, and that's something I want to be a part of. Like I said earlier, <laughs> as far as basketball, I just love competition, and I love just having our back against the wall. Like, hey, we have to do this together. We have to figure out a way to all work together to to you know answer. Um, the goals that that have been set before us and I'm just so excited to be a part of something like that and uh, when the stakes are higher Hmm. it it really brings the best out of you or it could bring the worst out of you but I really feel like it it, it'll bring the best out of all of us what's your personal outlook for the uh, position group in the 2018 the backs I think the number one thing and I've talked to these the guys number one we have to protect the football Um, and that's it may seem like a little thing but if we do that, I feel like we're our team's good enough, we're talented enough in every other aspect to be successful. The only way we can, you know, we can really beat to lose is is to beat ourselves. So if we protect the football, I think the talent that we have in our room it speaks for itself. You guys have gotten a glimpse of most of these guys throughout the the past. I'm not worried about the talent. You know, I'm worried about the discipline and us just doing the little things that are going to allow us to to utilize that talent that we have and not beat ourselves. You've played in the Big 12. Uh, you know what big time schedules look like and you come to BYU and you take a look at the 2018 schedule. Uh-huh. It's got big time all over it. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that. You know, um, I'm, that's what I'm used to. You know, in the Big 12, you know, you're, you you play OU one week and next week you're playing, you know, Texas Tech. And then the week after that, you're, you know, we had Nebraska and Colorado and all, you know, A&M and all those teams. You know, so I'm just excited to play in front of a lot of fans um, and, and just be a part of um, just something bigger. You know, is I'm very excited about it.
Well, it's been great talking to you, AJ. Good to get to know you here uh, in studio. And uh, we'll be looking forward to the product you put out on the field with you and Coach Grimes, the rest of the coaches here in the 2018 spring ball just around the corner. So it's coming up quick. It's been fun having you in and learning about your life. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Coach AJ Stewart, BYU's new running backs coach, joining us here behind the mic with Greg Grubel. We've got more behind the mic coming up after this on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYU and the BYU Radio app. Did you know that BYU has more than 80 alumni chapters worldwide? It's a way to connect with other alumni, help students in need, and help spread the influence of the Y all around the world. Most places have chapters where you live, and there are also chapters based on what your major was or even your profession. And chapters do great things, like helping provide financial aid for more than 400 BYU students this year. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu chapters. BYU alumni, connected for good. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. In 1997, the BYU basketball program was at a low point, coming off a 1-25 season and with a new head coach hired from the California Junior College ranks. It was at this time that a player from Provo High School said yes to Steve Cleveland, his new assistant Dave Rose, Assistant Heath Schroyer and the BYU Cougars. That player, McKelly Wesley, would go on to become one of the top ten scorers in BYU basketball history, ending his Cougar career as a senior with Conference Player of the Year and Honorable Mention All-America citations. Memorably, McKelly helped BYU back to the NCAA tournament in 2001, ending BYU's six-year absence from the big dance. 2001 was also the last year in which BYU won a conference tournament, something the 2017-18 group will attempt to do starting this Saturday versus San Diego in Las Vegas right here on BYU Radio. After McKelly's stellar BYU basketball career concluded, he played professionally for the next decade, mostly for teams in Europe. But he's now back home here in Utah, although tonight he's on the road from where he joins us live in my interview with McKelly is brought to you by BYU Alumni, our Catching Up with the Cougar segment sponsored by BYU Alumni, connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. McKelly, welcome in behind the mic. Greg, great to, great to be on. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a while. So where are you? What are you doing? Well, I'm in the land of Roll Tide. I'm in Alabama and, uh, so I, uh, I do a little bit of uh, real estate out here, and so it, uh, I come out here about six times a year. I get out of that frigid, cold uh, weather that we're having right now and enjoy some of the humidity and the warmth out here and I play a little golf, and I check on some of these rental properties I have, and then uh, I do some flip houses. So okay. I've got a really good friend that, that lives out here, and uh, I stick with him, and, and we just uh, kind of work hard and, and play hard as well. Huh. Let, let, let's uh, let's back it up to to the days I talked about at Provo Provo High School. You were of course pretty well aware of the struggles the BYU basketball program was going through at the time. You played right across the street. How easy or how hard was it uh, to commit to the Cougars and that first year head coach Steve Cleveland back in 1997? Yeah. So uh, just in your intro, Greg, um, I actually committed for Roger Reed and his staff and. I was just super excited to be a Cougar. It was a lifelong dream. Both my parents are Cougar alumni, you know, BYU alumni. So 
it was where I wanted to be. And I looked at it as an opportunity to go in and play right away. Um, So when Roger Reed got fired, you know, I had people come up to me and let me know that because the coach that I had committed to uh, no longer, you know, holds the position there, I was basically a free agent uh, to choose, you know, any other university. But my heart was set on BYU. It's where I wanted to be. Um, I knew I had an opportunity to come and play because, you know, quite frankly, they weren't very good. And we weren't very good that first year, but we we made some great memories. And it was just the first step in rebuilding that that program back to uh, the prominence and, you know, getting pride back. And as you mentioned, winning uh, the conference championship, the conference tournament and getting back to the big dance, which was our ultimate goal. So back in 97, 98, once you kind of recommitted to BYU, that was your freshman year. It was only a nine win season. But you guys had an amazing, really, let's go to the final weekend. It was an amazing final weekend of the regular season. Back then, in the, in the days of that whack, not every conference team qualified for the conference tournament. You had to qualify just to get to Las Vegas. And you went into that final weekend playing at New Mexico, which was on a 41-game home court win streak, and then at UTEP. So you've got to go to Albuquerque and El Paso and really win both games just to get to go to the conference tournament. And so it couldn't have been set up any more plainly than that. And my recollection, McKelly, is that there was weather that weekend, and we ended up having to, uh, I think, I think bus somewhere to fly. So it was a really weird travel weekend, and all those things kind of came together. You end up going to the pit, and... What would you say you guys did at the pit that night? <laughs> that's that's funny, Greg, that you remember that because now that you're saying that, we actually bust with the I think with the women's team or the gymnastics teams to Las Vegas, and then flew flew from Vegas to Albuquerque, where it was a six six and a half hour bus ride to Vegas, but only an eight hour you know bus ride to Albuquerque. So we were kind of scratching our heads over that one. <laughs> but um, you know, we we came out that game, and, and I think you know as we get older, we start. Uh, embellishing a little bit you know the the 41 game win streak turns into 51 or 55 <laughs> and you know they were ranked you know four or five in the nation which in reality i think they were 14th or 15th but they were a good team and as you know the pit is probably the toughest venue to play in especially when they're rocking and they, you know that team had all the momentum and here we are at the time with seven wins as opposed to 19 losses going into this team with a bunch of young guys we had one senior on the team justin whitehour and I don't know what he had for breakfast that morning, but he came out and had the game of his life. Uh, I remember we, you know, we couldn't do anything wrong, and I'm, I'm sure Vegas had us uh, had us at 20 point underdogs, and we ended up winning that game by almost 20 points. And it was just an incredible game to to remember and, and just think back on. And then to get in that locker room and be so happy and excited, and then the coach is telling us, guys, this one doesn't really count it's the next one we got to win to get to vegas (laughs) and that trip you know going back that that utep new mexico swing that's not an easy trip that's those are tough places to play for really really good teams for great teams that's a tough swing yeah absolutely absolutely and you know you know you saw you saw it with this year's team road wins in conference down the stretch they're not gimmies and they're not easy to come by you've really got to battle and fight and we uh you know, that, that UTEP game, jumping ahead, was a triple overtime game. You know, after coming off such an emotional win for us, beating New Mexico and getting a win over a ranked team in their home court, and you got, you know, Snake going wild, doing the throat slashes. It was it was really a, a very memorable weekend for that team. And we a lot of us, you know, really grew up, and we, we felt like we took a big step that weekend. 
You talk about the definition of a stunned home crowd or stunned silence. That was the pit on that weeknight. And then triple overtime in El Paso. Lance Archibald hits a huge three right in front of my broadcast location. And you have the game-winning free throw as you guys win at 76-75. You had 31 points that night, 16 of 18 from the stripe, and the game-winning free throw to sweep that weekend. And, And really... As, as exciting as it is to win a conference tournament championship and go to the dance, just getting you remember how good it felt just to get to Las Vegas to play in a conference tournament. Oh, we were we were elated to go to Vegas and extend our season. We you would have thought we won the championship, and that was our you know ninth win on the year. But you're right, and, and the crazy part is is that you know Lance didn't play a whole lot, and so for him to be in in overtime or double overtime, and and that three was NBA range three, no doubt. And to put that in and then just have the things go our way down the stretch. And I still remember the last play where Steve Cleveland called up the the play. Um, You know, I think it was 3.7 or 4.1 seconds. And we had the ball under our our own basket. So we had to go the length of the court. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he drew up the play. McKelly, you sprint to half court and set a back screen. And we'll throw the ball to you. And I remember getting the ball. And, you know, I wasn't a very good ball handler, so I just took off towards the basket. I remember about hitting the three-point line and glancing up at the shot clock and seeing 1.4. And I'm, I thought to myself, I can get to the rim here as slow and as uncoordinated as I was. And I just <laughs> put my head down and went. And luckily, I got hacked. And it was it was a hack. I got hacked. And it's a tie game. There's 0.6 or 0.7 seconds on the clock. And we're tied in triple overtime. And I was 15 of 16 up until that point. And what do I do? I brick the front end of these <laughs> of these two free throws. And and then I think they call the timeout to ice me. And, and the only thing going through my head is I've got to make this because I'm so doggone tired <laughs> that if I don't, I do not want to play another five minutes. And luckily, the second one went in, and we we had a, a grand old celebration just to get to Vegas. So it was it was definitely a, an amazing time to remember. And one of the cool things about your career is kind of how step by step each season got better, right? First year was nine wins, and you get to Vegas, but you lose in the first game of the conference tournament. But it's okay, you've made a step. Next year, ninety eight, ninety nine. Now it's a twelve and sixteen year, still losing year, but you got three more wins. And this time you get to Vegas and you beat a favored team. You upset TCU, losing the next game. Then your third year comes along. It's another step forward. Now it's 22-11. and 11. Wow, winning record, 20 wins. And then you go to the conference tournament title game in this new league called the Mountain West Conference, right? Yeah, no, and that was, that was awesome because if you remember, Greg, we, we actually beat Utah in that in that tournament in Vegas in the Mountain West Conference tournament, and that was a huge step finals, for you. Guys. That was a huge was, step for you guys. A, yeah, it was a huge step because Utah had been bullying us my whole time there. Right, my freshman year, they go to the national championship game. They're just loaded with talent and size, and just obviously, you know, Rick Majerus is one of the best coaches to ever coach the game. And to win, I think we had beat him uh, at our place my junior year at home, and then you know we lost to him at the Huntsman. But the, then to beat him in Vegas. To get to that conference championship, we felt like that was another step, and we were honestly looking to to win win it that year. Um, unfortunately, we ran into a, a red hot Las Vegas team mm-hmm. playing on their home on their floor. home floor, and, right? Yeah, and that was kind of a bloodbath. But you know, it, like you said, it was a step, and we got postseason play in the NIT. 
That was it. You got Which was, yeah. It's the next yeah. level. So you had been postseason list for the first two years. Now you're NIT, and you get two home games. And those Bowling Green, Southern Illinois games. Again, it's a whole new vibe in the postseason. And Marriott Center was rocking. And you guys saw. And that was back when the NIT booked a lot of games based on crowd size, right? And how you drew. And BYU drew so well in winning those first two games. I was holding out hope. You know what? They're going to give us a home game to get to Madison Square Garden, but. Notre Dame had a little more sway than BYU's home crowd, and they sent us on the road to South Bend. And we gave it a go, but ended up one win shy of New York. Yeah, and I'm still a little bitter about that because my understanding was was exactly what you said. Is I, I thought they'd base it off attendance. And we had eighteen or 19,000 for both games. I think one of our games was more than what Notre Dame had combined for their two games. Yeah. And we still had a chance to win. We just had, uh, you know, we played the late game Monday night. Tuesday morning, we're on an early flight to Chicago. We drive to South Bend. We're playing Wednesday afternoon. And it's the first team that played a zone all year. And our best three-point shooter in Todd Christensen goes down. Yeah, he gets hurt. With a knee, with a knee injury in the first minute of the game. And, you know, usually a BYU team sees a 2-3 a zone defense and, and their eyes light up because they're going to shoot threes nonstop and just bust that zone. Um, but, you know, the shots weren't falling. It was kind of a grinded-out game. They had a superstar named Troy Murphy who played a bunch of years in the NBA who, who got, you know, who, who, who had, a, had a decent game. And we were just, you know, a few points short of making it to the, to the Madison Square Garden for that Final Four of the NIT, which would have been huge. And as we mentioned, every year got a little bit better for you. And so from 22 wins as a junior to 24 wins in your senior season, and this was the magical year because you win the Mountain West Conference regular season, you go to Vegas. There's Now there's no Vegas. They were out. Uh, they were ineligible for the tournament on their home floor that year. So you didn't have to contend with UNLV, but you did have to beat good teams to get to that New Mexico game. And then New Mexico was, was still very, very good. And you score 30 points. You have a Jock Landale type of night, if I could bring it to modern day. You were 11 for 12 from the field. You guys beat New Mexico. Trent Whiting seals the deal with a couple of free throws in the final five seconds. And now you really have made it all the way back. What a great culmination. It's it's such a great way to have a career end by getting BYU back to the dance with a conference title. Things could not have ended any better uh, for you as a Cougar, uh, you know, to, 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 to bring it back full circle, right? Absolutely. It was, it was honestly one of the best times of my life. And just looking at the body of work from those four hard, you know, all the low points that we had and just building and just seeing the, everything come together, you're right, just to make it to that tournament and, and just feel so accomplished. I think that was one of our problems going into the NCAA tournament, that we were so elated and yeah. we were so excited. And the coaching staff was was just so amped up to be there that we kind of over-prepared and we were – um, you know, we were spending, we, the NCA only allows you 45 minutes on the floor to shoot around. And our game happened to be at San Diego state, which yeah. we were familiar with that, with that court. Uh, but if you remember, uh, you know, Cleveland wanted to make sure we were super prepared. So we had like a two and a half hour strenuous practice the day before out of the junior college. Actually, yeah. At the junior college. Exactly. And I pulled myself out. I said, listen, we, we haven't been doing these drills since preseason. Hmm. I pulled myself out, but you know, I think that had something to do with just the coach's mindset of being, you know, going over every single detail and aspect. But I think there was a little bit of, of wear and tear on the guys, and, and our shots were a little short in that game. And we we hung with Cincinnati. I think we could have won that game, but they they had some good players, and they they turned it on to a, 
a gear that we just couldn't catch up. And it wasn't the end result that we wanted, but we were, we were very, very proud and excited and just, we couldn't have been prouder of, of where we had come from, from that team that went one in 25, only four, you know, four yep. or five years prior to winning a conference tournament, winning the tournament in Vegas, the, ch- the conference championship, and then making it to the NCA without, you know, having to rely on an at-large bid. We felt like we earned our way through the front door and it was just a, a really gratifying and satisfying feeling doing that. So what does it take? Because you were part of the last team to do it. What does it take to win those three pressure pack games and earn your way in? Because it's been a struggle for, for BYU since with some really good teams to get it done. It's a magical thing. It is. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, you know, A, you've got to have a couple things go right for you. With us having New Mexico, uh, having UNLV out of the tournament and then having New Mexico knock off Utah because we did not want to see Utah. We didn't feel like we matched up, even though we split with them. They were always a tough out. Um, and, and then I just think of down the stretch when we kind of got hot, um, you had to have guys that were like the X factor step up and make plays, big plays in crunch time. You've got to be able to keep the games within reach if you're down. Uh, and I think of, you know, obviously this team has, this team now has Yoli and Eli that are the studs that carry the load. Um, you know, TJ's been up and down, but but consistent for the most part. But they haven't had a, a guy like Dalton Nixon who has shown you glimpses uh, of what he can do, you know, or, or Peyton Dashup, what he did early, like against Utah. You've got to have someone who steps up and gives you a spark, who makes the crucial rebound or the crucial defensive stop because the the star and then of course the stars have to do their part and they have to play their game. Um, we were lu- lucky enough to have three guys that were, um, you know, we, they call them the big three. And, you, you, Trent and Terrell. Yep, Trent and yep. Terrell. And you know, the first two games of that tournament, I was in foul trouble against Air Force, and you, you know, against Air Force, it's always a grinded out, tough game. You never want to play Air Force, but you know, we we had kind of an ugly game and we won that one. And then we played Wyoming who was super talented, who liked to run and gun. And we, uh, you know, we, we did our best and we, and we fought them and, and we got the win. And then against New Mexico, it was just, you know, a, a team effort. I got hot down the stretch where Trent and Terrell carried us the first two games. And so you've got to have your stars come to play, but you've got to have a guy. Um, and for us, it was, I remember Nate Cooper, you know, making some huge plays down the stretch of the of the regular mm-hmm. season where you know at air force he's making key rebounds we had um if you remember nate knight making a big charge at new mexico i mean it's just those small plays that add up it's all got to come together yeah it's all it got to come together it does yep well mckelly we hope the guys can recapture that winning formula this weekend certainly it sounds like you keep close tabs on the guys and that's great to know that you're still so closely connected to the program that way and i look forward to seeing you again soon Safe travels to you back from Alabama, and uh, good luck to you. We'll, we'll see you hopefully soon. Greg, pleasure, pleasure chatting with you, and, and go Cougs. Thank you. McKelly Wesley ending up our show tonight. Next week on Behind the Mic, Jimmer Fredette and Kyle Collinsworth among our guests. Our thanks to McKelly Wesley, A.J. Stewart, and Jeff Call. This has been Behind the Mic on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143.